So anyways, I'm working the polls. Uh-huh. I'm volunteering on election day. I walk up behind one person who's checking in on a digital screen. And he turns around and looks at me and gives me a vibe I can only describe as vaguely school shooter-esque. Oh, God. And he goes, can I help you? And I said, hi, I'm volunteering with the election. I'm just here if you need any help checking in. And he kind of scoffs and turns away. And without looking at me, he mutters, so you guys are going to steal the election again. Actually, no, he said, so you can steal the election again? And I'm not really good with confrontation, so I just went, I'm sorry, like I hadn't heard it, and he didn't repeat the statement. But yeah, if there's any like crazy swings from expected in the Arizona elections, it's because of me. It was because of me personally stealing the election, Naomi. Oh, dang. Okay. Now now I'm, I'm sure you're all the better for knowing me. I'm Naomi Guy. I'm Joel Guy. And we run a podcast. Company, really, LLC, yeah, really Incorporated. just explaining sex, dating, relationships, why we hate them, why we love them, all of the above. No one has purchased us for $44 billion recently, oh, and that kind of bothers us because clearly there's someone with that amount of money out there to spend. It's because we're not giving blue check marks to people for $8. You know... If someone signs up for our Patreon, <laughs> we will find them a way. To, we will give you a blue check mark. We will email you a blue yeah, check mark. We, we will no, send no. a blue check yeah. mark to your house. We'll send you a poster of a blue check mark. Guys, we just want to know that people support us. That's it's not the money. It's no, it's the principle. We know that people support us. We just don't know that people support us. Uh, people want us to think that they support us, but there's only one way in our brutal capitalist society to prove That's you really care true. about us. That's really and true. And that is putting cold, hard cash into our hands. Yeah. Naomi, a midterm election just happened. Yep. Did hence you the vote? title of our... Wait, you, you, I'm supposed to vote? Hence <laughs> uh, the title of our episode. And I wanted to talk about it because it has some repercussions on issues that we talk about on a lot of different episodes. But before we do that, I think we have a drink we need to sample. Well, um, every week we try a different uh, drink and we started off this podcast where we first started drinking all the Trader Joe's drinks and then we fell away from that because they ran out of drinks very quickly. Also, we got disappointed so frequently. That's very true. But this week we went to Trader Joe's. We got sparkling honey crisp apple juice beverage. I always hate the phrase beverage. I don't like that they just say sparkling honey crisp apple juice, period. Beverage is like something you consume for sustenance. It's like the MRE equivalent of <laughs> drinking things. It's like soylent and yeah. other meal replacement things. Protein shake. It shouldn't be a tasty concoction. Yeah. But so, with that in mind, please pour. Okay. Yeah, we, we picked this up. Why Do was you it chunky? know chunky? how to open cans? Why was it chunky when it came out? I don't like that. You didn't open the can properly. Did I not? Oh, I didn't. <laughs> it's not as crisp as a it's Martinelli's. It's not as crisp as I would like. It's it's cool. It has a nice mouthfeel. It's very subtle. But it's like hard cider without the flavor. It's like it's like apple cider, Martinelli's apple cider, like the sparkling one, but like half diluted with water. Yeah, it, it's kind of bland. It, it has that nice mouth feel. Yeah. I, I, I could see myself purchasing additional cans of this, but it's not as enjoyable as a lot of other 
Martinelli's similar side of brands. rich. It would definitely be good on the side of, of a very rich meal. Like if you had like a whole Christmas dinner, That's an this would be point. good on the side because it's like, it's subtle. It's good. It's not too sweet. It doesn't fill you up. Sure. No, that's yeah. fair. This is like a sparkling water equivalent of apple cider. It's a. It's the Lacroix of apple ciders. You know what? I think we would recommend <laughs> this. This isn't the most enjoyable thing we've had, but it it, it it's hits. It's definitely not that salted prune soda. Salted prune soda. Yeah. Okay. So, Naomi, midterms yes. just happened. Yes. Um. There were apocalyptic predictions. Yes. A lot of people were talking about a red wave where Republicans would just absolutely devastate. No, I think just the GOP was talking about a red wave. I saw a lot of coverage from both sides of the political spectrum. Uh, The big thing is, historically, during midterms, whoever is in the party that isn't affiliated with the president, they tend to do quite well. Because any problems in the country, say, rampant inflation, increasing costs of gas, uh, destabilization, in, you know, the breadbasket of the world, uh, rapidly escalating climate change, uh, those things are easily attributable to the party in power. And so it's really easy to write attack ads that are like, are things better now than they were, you know, two years ago? Yeah. And typically, yeah, parties pick up seats. So a lot of people were predicting a red wave. I'm interested. What were you predicting? Um, I had hope. Joel's very pessimistic. And if you listen to the last couple weeks of episodes, you'll know that, you know, Joel just... Joel's a hater. Joel is a hater. Um, Joel doesn't like to believe in good things. And you know what? Sometimes he's right and sometimes he's wrong. Like during the 2020 election, was it 2020? Yeah. He came home and I was like, dude, Biden's winning right now. And he was like, he's not going to win. And I was like, whoa, where is this coming from? He's like, yeah, Trump's going to take over. It's just like, it's going to be another four years bullshit, blah, blah, blah. I don't and, recall this conversation. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm giving you the Spark Notes version. And um, it was very pessimistic. And you know who won? Biden. So I had I, faith. I was so happy to vote for the white racist instead of the white racist. Um, orange racist. Oh, okay. My yeah. bad. Yeah. So such a difference between the two of them. No, it wasn't. It, there was no good choices in that election. Let's be fair. But there's no good choices in any election. Kill democracy. I'm just kidding. So, um, so I had faith, um, but I also am very aware that this was an election that um, was, it, it was in Arizona specifically, like it was a really hard hitting one because we are still waiting. It's Saturday um, the 12th of November and we're still waiting on the results for governor. So Joel's still pessimistic about it. He's mentally prepared himself for Carrie Lake. I have mentally prepared myself for Katie Hobbs, but I literally feel as if Katie Hobbs could have been doing so much fucking more. But then like two weeks before the election, she was like, I'll just have Obama out and it'll be fine. (laughs) And I was like, Obama should have been here like four weeks ago. Like, are you kidding me? So, cause like mail-in ballots had already gone in at that point. Like they started to go in. So I didn't like her way of running her campaign, especially against a woman like Carrie Lake. But I did find some interesting things out about Carrie Lake that I would like to talk about, but that can be for later in the episode. We can save that for later. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 
look, as, again, there's like a historical precedent. I, I thought the Republicans would win, but win fairly narrowly. Um, the the, the economy is not doing great. Uh, Democrats have not been great at inflation. I think a lot of people are angry because their tax dollars are going places like Ukraine. That's a pretty bipartisan thing where people are very disappointed where that's going. I think the Democrats did some strategic things like their infrastructure plan and the college loan forgiveness, which would be perceived as favorable among voters. And I also felt that they were undersampling Gen Z uh, and millennial voters. That's a big problem in polling these days because we don't pick up our phones for wrong random numbers. I don't know if you do. No, I, I try I don't. not to. Yeah. Since I changed my number, it's been like a whole new world because I don't get spam callers anymore. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there wasn't this giant red wave where every state government was taken over by Republicans actually, you know, did surprise me. Um, it's really good. I think that a lot of governor races were not won by Republicans. I think it's really good that a lot of progressive policies did really well across the country. And we'll discuss several of those in this episode. Um, I think it's really good that um, the, 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 the dire warnings people had didn't come true. And, you know, maybe I am a little bit pessimistic, but that means now I have optimism and hope. So like I, I set the bar low and then I get to be pleasantly surprised. Um, I, I think there, there's a couple of takeaways here. It's that um, there's a lot of conservative talking points in media right now, but probably not as many people are watching conservative media as they'd like. You know, you have Matt Walsh talking about how, like, transgender people are seducing and grooming our children and whatnot, but I have no idea what his audience is. It's probably significantly smaller than the people who already believe these things to begin with. Um, you have discussions about how, like... Um, I, I, I think there's also websites like Twitter where a lot of people are spreading awareness of key issues and trying to get people to turn out. I think there's really good engagement on Twitter and Instagram among young people. And I do have to wonder if in 2024, if Twitter is dead by then, which seems it's to be approaching like it, yeah. pretty quickly, uh, you won't have that advantage because there isn't really a good place that youth and younger people can meet up and share ideas and kind of rub shoulders in the public marketplace of ideas. And I have to wonder, you know, what the, the future in two years will look like if that doesn't exist. Um, I guess we're all going to parlor. Oh, no, we're going to Truth Social Mail, man. That's, that's probably the better one. Um, I also think that there's going to be a push to rebrand conservative like DeSantis. I mean, I'm pretty sure DeSantis is running as, you know, the, the GOP's contender. Trump's almost certainly going to run as well. But DeSantis is going to position himself as like the rational, not crazy Trump. Yeah. And I'm afraid of what happens when that occurs, because we, as we already discussed before, you have policies like a 15 week abortion ban, which seems like really straightforward and reasonable. You know, it's just like Europeans do, as we've discussed in a prior episode. No, it's nothing at all. Like how the European healthcare system governs abortions. And so people should be rightfully skeptical of somebody who's had like crazy controversies his entire life, who suddenly is like, Oh, actually, no, I'm totally cool. And definitely wasn't a 23 year old teacher hanging out with high school students when I was teaching. Good stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think voters should obviously uh, pay attention to who DeSantis has always been and then the image he tries to project as we move into the presidential election of 2024 cycle, which is probably going to be happening within the month. Yeah. Excited for that. 24 months of nothing but presidential coverage in the media. Yeah, good, I, think good I think Trump's supposed to announce his reelection on Tuesday at 9 p.m. Mm hmm. 
So I want to get into Naomi, uh, what exactly happened during the midterms. Again, we don't know all the results yet, but we do have like some key takeaways that I think are helpful as we talk about women's issues across America moving forward. Um, I will note two things. It does unfortunately appear like Julie, Julie Gunnigal did not win the uh, position she was seeking uh, in the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. Uh, it appears Rachel Mitchell has pulled out ahead. I don't think all the votes are tabulated, but it doesn't seem very likely. Uh, we were very happy to have Julie Gunnigal on. I'm going to imagine that Julie will continue to stay involved in politics because she cares deeply about these issues, whether she's you know in an official position or not. Uh, but yeah, it's disappointing. And unfortunately, Rachel Mitchell... Uh, kind of flip-flopped on whether or not she'd be prosecuting people for having abortions. She never really gave a firm answer. Um, she did when it became clear it wasn't popular. But Arizona, even though there were some Democratic wins in the state, the House and the Senate are still controlled by Republicans. So we could see some very bad abortion policies being passed in this state. So that's something to worry about, and people should definitely not think that this election settled that issue in Arizona. Uh, Melody Hernandez, who we also had on, she won re-election. Yes, uh, good for her. Uh, Melody, if you'd like to come back on our podcast, we'd love to have you and talk about some of the work you're doing. We would love to have Julie Gunnigal back on the podcast as well. <laughs> uh, we'll bring them both on in the same episode. Uh, we'll, we'll all get drunk and complain about politics. It'll be great. That seems so great for public image, especially on Melody Hernandez's case. Yeah, I mean, clearly both of them care deeply about the issue of abortion. Oh, for so sure. let's talk about how abortion rights were reshaped in the midterm elections on Tuesday. So 538.com had an article on the 9th uh, by Amelia Thompson-DeVoe called Abortion Rights Are Reshaping American Politics. In June, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito and the court's ultra-conservative majority wrote that they were sending the issue of abortion back to the voters. The voters are displeased. The midterm election results look like a striking rebuke of the court's decision in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization and the wave of near-total abortion bans that followed it. Results are still pending in some key states like Arizona, but Democrats won many contests that will shape abortion access for the next few years, and in some cases, much longer. Abortion's right supporters managed to enshrine the right to abortion in three state constitutions, including the crucial state of Michigan, where a near-total ban on abortion from 1931 has been tangled up in a court battle for months. And supporters notched another consequential win in Kentucky, where a majority of the state's voters opposed a ballot measure that would have explicitly clarified that abortion rights were not protected under the state constitution. Abortion rights activists now have momentum to push for ballot measures like the one that passed in Michigan, perhaps in states with active or pending bans like Ohio, Oklahoma, and Missouri. And Canada may see the week's results as evidence they need to talk more about abortion than they may have otherwise. Abortion did make it to the ballot in five states, Michigan, Vermont, California, Kentucky, and Montana, and although we don't have final results everywhere, abortion rights supporters appeared poised to sweep the board. So this was a big thing where a number of organizations reacted immediately after the Supreme Court decision to try to get abortion uh, legislation on the ballot, mm -hmm. uh, both good legislation and bad legislation. And um, in places like Arizona, there was really high interest, but unfortunately they just couldn't get enough signatures to meet the deadline. Yes. And so already they're working on a new ballot initiative that will probably be on the 2024 uh, ballot which would, you know, codify abortion in the state constitution. So, like, these organizations aren't going anywhere. I don't think, you know, they uh, plan to drop this issue. There's really no reason why they would. Uh, the only risk would be if they don't get enough signatures before the next election. But given how quickly they were able to mobilize people, I think they got, like, 50 or 75% of the total they needed in Arizona. Really, they should probably get 120 to 130% just to make sure signatures aren't invalidated for any reason. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's very realistic that... Every other state could have similar ballot measures on their uh, 
uh, ballots in the next election. By far, the most important of these ballot measures was in Michigan, where a 1931 abortion ban had been snarled in litigation before the Dobbs decision. Now the fate of the ban is moot after a decisive majority of Michigan voters cast their ballots in favor of an amendment establishing the right to reproductive freedom under the state constitution. The vote was an important bellwether because it was the first attempt to affirmatively enshrine abortion rights in the state constitution in a swing state where the status of abortion was genuinely uncertain. Vermont and California already approved similar measures on Tuesday, but the fact that they're blue states made the outcome of these amendments considerably less suspenseful. Abortions rights supporters were already thinking about pursuing similar measures in a number of other states, and these are more likely to get money and attention as a result of the success. So, like, there are probably people who are interested in supporting these but decided not to because they thought there was no chance in hell that they would actually pass, and now there's clearly, like, the momentum that's necessary to drive, you know, donations and support. Abortion rights supporters also defeated the Kentucky ballot measure, saying that there is no right to abortion under the state constitution. That outcome might seem surprising, given that Kentuckians are solidly opposed to legal abortions in all or most cases. But it's actually pretty much in line with a New York Times analysis estimated after Kansas voters rejected a similar measure during the primary in August. Kentucky is redder than Kansas, so this vote was narrower. But the result underscores the fact that even some voters who are opposed to abortion in many cases are unhappy with the extreme turn that abortion policy has taken. In Kentucky, for instance, abortion is currently banned with very few exceptions, and according to polling by Civics, only 13% of Kentucky's registered voters want abortion to be legal in all circumstances. The abortion rights side also substantially outraised anti-abortion advocates in the lead-up to the midterms, so that spending advantage might have helped too. The ballot measure's defeat won't immediately change the status quo, abortion will remain banned in Kentucky, but it does mean that a legal challenge to the ban in state court will proceed. That said, the results in Kentucky are also a sign that opposition to Republicans' extreme position on abortion does not automatically translate into support for Democrats. The no vote on the ballot measure, which confusingly corresponds with a pro-abortions rights stance, is currently running 14 percentage points ahead of Democratic Senate candidate Charles Booker, who lost decisively to Republican incumbent Senator Rand Paul. So turning the general air of displeasure about extreme abortion bans into electoral victories could be trigger tricky for Democrats in red states like Kentucky. Many anti-abortion candidates were also elected races across the country last night, so simply prioritizing abortion doesn't necessarily translate into support for Democrats. So I want to briefly discuss this because a lot of people are like, we just need to elect Democrats in all these states. But I think it's easy to underestimate how unpopular just being a Democrat is. Like, regardless of your positions on issues, regardless of how moderate or progressive you are, a lot of people just will never vote for Democrats. Uh, their churches tell them that Democrats are, you know, run by Satanists. You yes. know, the news media they consume says the same thing. A lot of people feel betrayed after NAFTA passed and factory jobs just evaporated in their areas. And they're never going to vote for Democrats again because, like, their entire lives were upended by the fact that a Democratic-led administration made decisions that shipped all of our factory jobs out of the country. Um, you also have an example of um, candidates who just suck, who the Democrats keep yeah. supporting. Uh, one really good example is in Florida, where DeSantis won re-election against Charlie Crist. And Charlie Crist, I think, currently is losing by something like 30 percentage points. Very, very unpopular. That's not to say that like there aren't a plethora of Republicans in Florida. But you look at four years ago when Andrew Gillum ran against DeSantis, and Andrew Gillum lost by like 30,000 votes, and he was a very progressive individual who, like, was pushing for things like Medicare for all. So, like, clearly there can be support for Democrats in these areas, but it also can be kind of a anchor around their necks that would drag down campaigns that might otherwise be super popular. So, like, 
the answer of electing Democrats to solve these issues doesn't always work in a lot of areas, and it might be helpful to support candidates from a third party, independents, libertarians, Green Party people instead. Um, yeah, that's not the answer It's it, that a lot of people want to hear, but it's probably a more realistic one. No, I think it's um, there's this kind of push towards not really caring about elections because it's too much reading in what? my generation. And so it's kind of not in my generation. I would say it, it's a it's a general laziness for people that just don't aren't directly affected by the by the election results. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to call out white men Um it's a general laziness. So if you're going to vote for someone, you're going to be like, oh, I'm just going to vote for all the Republicans on the ballot, and I'm just going to call it a day. So I have a solution. Democrats run as Republicans. There you go. You got you got your answer right there. Um, um, I don't have the exact numbers pulled up, but the answer is also not like, white women's solidarity or anything because it appears there was an 8% move by white women to vote for Republicans in a lot of these elections. Um, There's been different speculation about this and why that might be true. I I think it's important to emphasize that not all women are on the same page when it comes to abortion rights and access. Um, It's important if you're trying to pass, you know, these movements to convince women that, you know, these policies are important to protect their their lives. But it's also important to bring in other groups like men because there's just a lot of women who are resistant to change. Um, If you know your history of conservative movements, often it was women who started a lot of them who were deeply involved in them and supported them throughout their manifestation. So like don't pretend that magically all women are going to be aligned on this issue. Uh, Be a little more realistic in how you approach it. In key purple states, though, abortion rights seem to have lifted Democratic candidates, and although some races are still outstanding, Democrats have already won most of the state-level races that will shape abortion access going forward. So this is good news. In Pennsylvania, where Republican legislators were making noises about stricter abortion bans, Democrat Josh Shapiro won the governor's race handily, defeating an opponent who is one of the most ardent anti-abortion advocates in the statehouse. Regardless of what happens in the Pennsylvania General Assembly, which in a surprising turn of events, Democrats might also have a shot at winning, Shapiro has promised to veto any new abortion restrictions, which means that abortion will remain legal up to 24 weeks of pregnancy and with some restrictions like waiting periods in Pennsylvania for the foreseeable future. Democrats also managed to stave off a Republican supermajority in the North Carolina General Assembly, a down-ballot victory which will have big implications for the thousands of women who already appear to be traveling to North Carolina for abortions. The governor of North Carolina, Roy Cooper, is a Democrat, so anti-abortion Republicans were hoping for a veto-proof majority that would allow them to pass a stricter abortion ban than the state's current 20-week limitation. But that didn't happen, and North Carolina will likely continue to accommodate thousands of -of out-of-state abortion patients from across the South as a result. Uh, We've talked about abortion deserts before. North Carolina is one of many states that is now serving as a place that women in more conservative states can travel to. A safe haven. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. Maybe this goes without saying. We stressed it before, but let's not condemn the women in the states that predominantly vote red people, conservative policymakers into office. Let's not condemn them to, like, their fate. I I think it's easy to write off places like Florida and Texas and be like, well, clearly the people are beyond saving. They're too stupid. You know, it's the women voting for the leopard eating my face party being like, well, I didn't think the leopards would eat my face. But I I think it's also important to remember that 
a significant portion of the population in those areas live in heavily gerrymandered districts. Yes. Uh, their voting power has been heavily diluted over time. Uh, there's a number of new policies that make it far more difficult to vote. Um, I've heard, and there has not been a lot of media coverage about this, a lot of people complaining that they lived out of state and didn't receive their mail-in ballots, or if they did, they were just before the cutoff period. So there's a lot of things working against these people to prevent them from voting in legislators who they think would better represent their interests. Um, and even if every single person in these states is like completely aligned on the issue of like making women suffer and increasing the likelihood that they die and live in poverty for the rest of their lives, that doesn't mean we should still not strive to create a more equitable world in which like just in case they want to get one, they have that opportunity. In addition to abortion rights advocates' victory on the ballot measure in Michigan, incumbent Democrat Governor Gretchen Whitmer also won re-election, and abortion rights were clearly a factor. Whitmer made abortion rights a defining issue for a candidacy, and it paid off, according to exit polls conducted in Michigan. Um, which, like any other poll, are subject to error. A whopping 45% of Michigan voters said that abortion was the top issue driving their vote which is pretty impressive given economy, yeah. climate change, all that. Uh, 18 percentage points higher than the number of exit polls conducted in 10 other states and Michigan, 27%. That spike is almost certainly because abortion was actually on the ballot in Michigan, but the result will likely embolden Democrats who are thinking about similar ballot measures in their states. Um, so, again, that's good. Electoral success in one area can certainly encourage electoral success in others. Finally, in Wisconsin, a challenge to the state's 19th century abortion ban will live on, since Democrat Tony Evers won his re-election bid for governor, as did the incumbent uh, Democratic Attorney General Josh Cowell. The ban is currently active in Wisconsin, which means it's basically impossible to get a legal abortion in the state. But Evers and Call filed a lawsuit over the summer challenging the ban, which is moving forward in the courts. Wisconsin Republicans also failed to win a legislative supermajority that would have allowed them to override Evers' veto and pass a new abortion ban with a better chance of surviving a court challenge. Evers' victory is still not a guarantee that abortion will become illegal in Wisconsin again, but it's a real possibility, which would not be the case if he had lost. Out of all these contests, it's clear the issue of abortion rights isn't going away. Some Democrats who lean heavily into abortion, despite the prevailing economic winds, will likely feel vindicated by last night's results. It's still not entirely clear whether abortion was a decisive issue in states where access to the procedure is protected, like Oregon and Nevada, but the issue clearly did not fade into the background, despite predictions to the contrary. So how did Democrats manage to defy expectations? Well, that's going to be something that a lot of pollsters are going to dig into in the next couple of weeks. But it seems like abortion access may be mobilizing some groups the Democrats have long struggled to turn out reliably, like young voters. There were signs going into the election that young women were particularly upset by the Supreme Court's ruling, and that's reinforced by the exit polls, which found that abortion was the top issue for 44% of voters under the age of 30, far more than the share that picked inflation. Women are also more likely than men to say that abortion was the top issue in their exit polls, 33% versus 22%. But the gap wasn't huge, and it could be at least partially explained by the fact that women are more likely to vote for Democrats. We'll have to wait until we get more reliable turnout numbers to dig into this further, but for now it's clear that abortion is motivating many Democratic voters despite a sour economy and general discontent with the state of the country. Going into 2024, we'll likely see more Democratic primary candidates running on the issues of abortion, as many of the year's primaries were over by the time the Dobbs decision came out. What about Republicans? Last night's results were a clear sign that Americans are not happy with the extreme stance on abortion that many Republicans have taken, which could affect what happens in state legislatures over the coming months. Republican politicians in states like Ohio, Nebraska, Ohio, Nebraska, <laughs> and Virginia are hoping to pass or retain restrictive abortion bans. 
but the results of the midterms could lead to more standoffs like the one we saw in South Carolina, where Republican legislatures split on the exceptions that were included in the proposed abortion ban and ultimately ended up not passing anything. Time is running out, but they might end up coming to a deal in the next few days. New abortion bans could give Democrats more ammunition heading into the next election cycle, but anti-abortion advocates will likely push from them anyway, putting some Republican legislatures in a bind. There's also the question of what national Republicans will do. Some Republican candidates tried to moderate their stance on abortion as it became clear that the Dobbs decision was backfiring on them, proposing 15-week abortion bans rather than much stricter restrictions that had gone into effect in other states. Now it's even more clear that abortion bans are weighing down Republicans in some states. We could see that trend continue. That said, because the party has gotten more extreme on the issue of abortion of the past decade, some Republicans almost certainly continue to support strict bans. I just want to go back to the part where you called uh, Senator Gretchen instead of Gretchen. I'm pretty sure I said Gretchen. No, you said Gretchen. There's so much moisture in my mouth <laughs> I keep swallowing. It's very difficult. Um, so pretty good results for the issue of abortion. Um, pretty good results for trans rights across the country. A shockingly high number of trans candidates were running and did quite well, either winning or getting very close to winning. Um, there are now a number of states that have codified transgender rights into their laws yes. and made it clear that they're safe havens. So um, that's all well and good. I did stumble across a post. Let me see if I can find it. Um, Okay, yeah, this was encouraging in the lead-up to the midterms by uh, Lyra Esquire, at Pink Ranger LB on Twitter. So she noted, A lot of scared trans people and family of trans people right now, so I'll say it again. When the torrent of anti-trans policies began earlier this year, the existing nonprofit structure was not prepared. A lot of trans activists have worked their ass off all year to be ready. What we've got is only the skeleton of what we hopefully have and will have in years to come. Networks have formed. Alliances between organizations have been put into place. There are plans and a communication structure exists now so that where there were no plans uh, before. What that means is we have the ability to coordinate and make plans. Uh, so she cites groups like Trot Tex, the TFP, TransFam Net, Tear It Up Organization, which is currently inactive, but they created a communication model so it can be started up again. And a lot of the newer orgs, with the exception of the stellar work of the Transformations Project, have progressed in fits and starts, but the groundwork is solid. The established nonprofits are gearing up and mutual aid networks are coming together. All this to say is that the elections are not the end word on trans rights, and trans people are more ready than ever to uplift each other, keep each other safe, and make their voices heard. So... As she points out, there's a number of organizations which have kind of sprung up. It was, for a period of time, just a bunch of people, like, sending money around on Venmo and Cash App trying to support people who are fleeing their states. And now there's, like, dedicated nonprofits. And not only are state legislatures taking note, you know, California is now a sanctuary state. I, there's a couple of others that I think have uh, proposed legislation to be sanctuary states. Um, but you, you're seeing... Uh, a lot of attention being given in the nonprofit world with groups like the ACLU attacking these bans in courts. And even like a lot of conservative judges have difficulty supporting some of these bans because they recognize that the bans are fairly arbitrary in how they're enforced and uh, they pose problems on, say, women who tend to dress in men's clothing for personal aesthetic reasons or men who, you know, maybe aren't the most masculine. Um, and, and so it creates a lot of issues where if you, you know, just didn't spread hatred, you wouldn't have problems to begin with. Because stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, a good night in that regard for both abortion and trans rights. Uh, that said, I think we can expect some pushback in coming months. 
So it is my contention, which is already kind of supported by the evidence at hand, that state legislatures are going to take advantage of control in certain states to pass a lot of terrible bills between now and the next election cycle because they assume a mandate. Uh, one good example is in the Miami Herald on November 11th yesterday in an article written by Mary Ellen Class. Florida legislative leaders say that it will discuss further restrictions on abortions. Supercharged by a supermajority in the House and Senate, Florida legislative leaders broke their silence Wednesday and confirmed they were preparing to discuss further abortion restrictions in Florida in the next year. How far they will go is a big question. Interviews with the presiding officers indicate they already appear to be taking different approaches. Incoming Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo told the Miami Herald slash Tampa Bay Times in an interview that she wants to see a 15-week ban approved last year by lawmakers reduced to 12 weeks, with the addition of an exclusion for rape and incest, which is currently not allowed. Uh, that said, polling shows that Floridians support the right to abortions. According to a May survey of over 500 Floridians by the Florida Atlantic University, most Florida residents want abortion to remain legal in most cases. That poll showed 67% of residents wanted abortion legal in either all or most cases, including 85% of Democrats, 52% of Republicans, and 63% of Independents. These moves are not reflective of what their, their constituents actually want across the board in Florida, and that's across party lines, says Laura Goodhue, executive director of the Florida Alliance of Planned Parenthood Affiliates. It doesn't matter the number of weeks. They're just opposed to politicians interfering in their pregnancy decisions. Uh, so yeah, that's all well and good. I know there's already a lot of nasty anti-transgender legislation being proposed in states where there's still like solid Republican majorities and arguably like even in states that don't have that, you're probably going to see politicians bringing this stuff up because they want to look good in the next election cycle for their constituents or because they have like national ambitions to run for president or other high offices moving forward and they need the street cred of hating on transgender people in order to back that up. There was already legislation that's trying to be passed after the election that um, wants to make, I think it was in Florida, that wants to make um, all drag shows illegal. Yes. And what's interesting about those is in several of the ones that I've seen, when they define drag shows, it's so broad that like a woman walking down the street dressed in like, what you might consider masculine apparel might fit into the description of somebody who's posing like a danger to, to children. I feel like we're all live possibly going to be living in that town in Footloose soon. There's no dancing. A <laughs> little bit. But it's also interesting how like insanely disproportional these laws are. And I, I get that that's the point, but it's like you could face life in prison for like dressing up in drag in some of these proposals. And those yeah. are the most extreme, but the intent is not we're going to protect children from predators because there's absolutely no evidence that people who cross dress are predators. child predators. Um, and if, you know, for whatever reason, there may be some in that community, uh, there are far more um, Republican legislators who are, uh, you know, arrested for fiddling with kids each year than there are people who cross dress. Uh, but, yeah, they, 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 they are uncomfortable by these individuals. They don't think that they have the right to exist. Uh, they would like to, you know, pretend they don't exist similar to gay people. And they think similar to gay people, that conversion therapy, where if you just do the things your assigned sex is supposed to do, you're going to be okay, is going to work. Um, and it turns out there's decades of scientific research that prove just the opposite. 
but uh, the experts they're bringing in to discuss these issues in front of Senate and House committees within these states are all people who are like, I'm a chiropractor, and I make $50,000 extra a year talking about why people shouldn't be allowed to transition sexes. It's all well and good. Yeah, it, it's very ideological, and the fact that states are spending so much energy on this is kind of indicative of the fact that Republicans don't have plans for anything. They don't really have plans for inflation. They don't have plans for improving the climate. They don't have plans for fixing American infrastructure. They just have cultural issues to refer to. And unfortunately, they will manufacture them if they can't get enough support for the ones they currently care about. Uh, once again, be supportive of people who live in these states. There are a lot of parents of trans kids who are trying to do their best to protect them in these trying times, and they do not have the financial resources to move states. Turns out it's really expensive to move, Naomi. Oh my God, I had no idea. Yeah, um, so I, I might have mentioned this on the podcast, but Lauren was living in her apartment earlier this year before we decided to move in together. So she was living over there at a... Um, and when she first moved in, she was in, I think, a 600-square-foot bedroom and was paying like $600 a month. Then it went up to $800 a month. Then it went up to $1,100 a month in the space of less than two years. Um, and then I think it was going to go up to $1,400 a month, which is when she's like, that's it. I'm moving out. Joel, let's find a place. In order to discourage all of the residents who were like, okay, this is just insane. We're moving. The apartment apparently had this like inter apartment mail service, like a Facebook message board. It's like, Hey, I got, you know, some furniture if anyone wants yeah. it or, Hey, you know, I'm looking for a ride to X, Y, and Z event. I got extra tickets and a bunch of people were posting about how much they hated this. So in response, the management sent out a message to everyone, which was like, moving's expensive. Did you know it can cost up to $1,100 to move on average? You wouldn't want to spend that, would you? And it's like, Dude, with the amount you're increasing my rent in four months, I've made up the amount yeah. by moving someplace cheaper. So I don't know how well they're doing. I do know they've done that thing that is being done everywhere in Tempe where they changed their name. So it's no longer the <laughs> apartments. It's the <laughs> apartments. And so now all the Google reviews that were really negative from the past company has gone away That's smart and and they have this like shiny new ones like i just moved in with the apartments yeah. and i love them and they definitely didn't pay me any money in order to you know get this positive review if you look up julie gunnigal on google the reviews for her say a lot of things like good pizza and calzones <laughs> and i'm very confused on how she got that reputation because it's like you look up julie gunnigal and it's like the office of julie gunnigal yeah. and she's like a lawyer here in arizona and um, I don't know if she just, like, makes pizza and calzones or she gives them to her clients. Everyone needs a side hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want prosecutors who understand the types of crime that are worth going after and who can deliver victims <laughs> a spasimilo casserole. A <laughs> uh, One other anecdote is I spend a lot of time on my computer looking at Google Maps during the day due to the nature of my job, which we'll never discuss on this podcast. And I was zooming in on where one driver was the other day on Google Maps. And in the middle of, I want to say it's McClintock and Broadway, in the middle of the street, there's just crapnappers. And if you click on crapnappers, it's for a service that picks up your dog poop at your house. It's literally a guy who travels around and picks up dog poop at your house. And he has all these reviews which are like, I hate picking up dog poop in my yard in 117 degree heat. It's so convenient getting my dogs inside the house when he shows up so he can pick up the poop for me. And I'm like, 
How much does this man make? It's that, what is the and pricing it's also like structure? when you get a dog, you should think about the fact that you're gonna have to go out into Arizona heat and pick up your dog's shit. Like that comes with the territory. Like, yeah. are you kidding me? But oh my god, I just can't imagine. Is it like a car wash where you like pay forty dollars and you get unlimited crap napping? Yeah, I think that's how that works. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it works a lot better when fuel isn't as expensive as right now. Um, I do want to kind of put a cherry on that, where like people are living in gerrymandered areas. Uh, I read a book a couple of years ago, um, I guess less than two years ago, called "Insanely Gerrymandered: How Trump Stole 2020," and it was written by a reporter named I think Greg Palast. And one of the things he talks about is how crazily gerrymandered our country is. And so, something like 47 percent of the electorate voted in the midterm elections, which means that 53 percent of people didn't vote. And you can argue that some of that's apathy, some of it's lack of information, but a big portion of it is people who've been purged from voting rolls, who don't have an opportunity to vote. Felons. Uh, felons are a good example. You have places like Florida, where the Floridians passed a constitutional amendment which would give uh, felons the right to vote again. And then the legislature, which happened to be majority Republican at the time, passed a law that said that felons had to pay off their court fees before they could vote, which was not something that was in the amendment. So this was fought in court for a while. Um, so then several felons tried to pay off their court fees, and uh, the state was like, we actually don't know how much you owe, and there's no one who can get us that information. And then the people who did vote who didn't think they had any court fees, recently many of them were arrested because, oh, oh you didn't hear about this? Because they tried to vote? Yeah, and it's a crackdown on people who like legally had the right to vote, but for some reason or another, the office didn't tell them that like there was a restriction placed upon their voting. Oh, it's all kinds of messed up. Uh, felons are one good example, Naomi. Uh, another good example is weird election quirks that disqualify people who are voting. So um, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, I was volunteering on election day, and I served as a judge, which meant I can kind of fill in any of the positions in the, um, the, 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 the spaces where you know voting takes place. And he and stole the election. That's how, that's how I stole the election. That's yeah. how Joel stole 2020. Yeah. Um, and... A number of people who are college students at ASU who are legally registered to vote in Arizona showed up and couldn't vote because they're Pima County residents. Um, and I, I don't fully understand why this makes any sense. I, I guess the only real way they could vote is if they drove down to Pima County day of or somehow got a mail ballot delivered to them. But even for statewide races, which are you know governor, senator, um, that you wouldn't need to be in a specific county to vote on, Maricopa County wouldn't issue them ballot. They wouldn't give them the opportunity to participate in those. I can sort of understand how you'd only want occupants of specific areas like counties to vote on, you know, who yeah. is going to you know, be serving them in those counties. But for stuff like governor and Senate where it covers everything, you'd think that people from Pima, Pinal, can, Yuma, yeah. Yavapai would be able to vote as well. Uh, but yeah, they, they were not able to. The best we could give them was a provisional ballot, but even then, I'm not sure if that's going to be counted. Yeah. So the fact you can't vote for federal only elections is kind of crazy. Um, there's other things like the fact that one in five mail-in ballots never counted. There's restrictions in Arizona where you have to do signature verification. And apparently they do have every single government signature you've signed on file. Like they keep a digital copy of your driver's license signature, signatures you've put on paperwork at you know other government offices. They have a number that they can compare to. But simultaneously, most people don't sign their signature the same way. And depending on how restrictive um, and 
you know, certain people running the Secretary of State want to be, a lot of people can have their ballot disqualified. Some people don't write their phone number on the ballot, so they might not be called back in order to verify it. And even if they did, the fact that the signature doesn't match might itself be a reason to disqualify. Um, the chance of your vote being thrown in the garbage is 900% higher, by the way, if you're black than if you're white. I'm sure that doesn't skew voting demographics at all. Is that based on like names or how do they define that? I, I think that's based off an analysis of who was purged overall. You can speculate whether or not it's yeah. names. It could just be a geographical thing. Okay. So if you get mail-in ballots disproportionately from like a majority black community, mm-hmm. those might be disqualified at a much higher rate. Okay. Um, also in the last two years, as of the time of 2020, 16.7 million voters were purged from the rolls. And so we had people who showed up who tried to vote. And we, again, we gave them provisional ballots because the Help America Votes Act, I think, authorizes anyone who shows up to a polling place to have the opportunity to vote. Um, but it's unclear if those would be counted. And basically, depending on who's the Secretary of State, they have the ability to go through and be like, well, these voters might be dead. And so they'll disqualify those voters who may or may not be dead. Mm-hmm. These voters appear to be a duplicate. And so there might be two people named John Smith and one John Smith is purged. Mm-hmm. These people probably moved out of state. And that's often inaccurate because they're using these records that are compiled from private sources about who's moved to Carolina and who's mm-hmm. moved to Nevada, which may not be accurate. And so a lot of people who think they're eligible to vote, who have no reason to think that they're not eligible because no one ever mailed anything to their house saying, confirm your voter registration, show up to vote, and then all of a sudden they can't come election day. And these stories fall through the cracks because, you know, most people's top line takeaway is how well did my party do during this election? Not think about how many people wanted to vote who didn't have the opportunity to vote. And honestly, that's really what, you know, shifts voting demographics in this country. So I want to speculate a little, Naomi. Okay. What do we think is going to be happening in the next two years? We've given a couple of suspicions. Do you have anything optimistic or pessimistic that you Um, think is coming? I think there will be another Republican um, president. I think that's realistic. Um, I I think Biden wants to run again, and he's not a very strong candidate. (laughs) No, but there are, I don't feel like we have any like strong Democratic candidates. Like I've seen a lot of people on social media, like the smaller um, like civilians that want to run for president. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they're not billionaires. They're not going to win the election. Um, in this country, you need a crap ton of money yeah. and a crap ton of um, corporate support and, and resources and and knowledge of how these elections and and candidacies go and so I know that like you have your twenty something odd people that sign up to be president every four years but then there's also the people that just get chopped automatically like there was that neurosurgeon that got like pretty far but then they were just like nope you're done um, yeah I I I don't want to say that I think that the Republican um, that will be voted in office in the next two years is going to be a bad one because that's pessimistic. But I'm only going to go so far as to say that he will be Republican. Yeah, I, I think Democrats need a fresh face who has not like been nationally prominent for a while. A lot of the people who have been involved in politics are either too darn old or yeah. like they, they don't have the popularity because they've like been in office and made some really boneheaded moves at different points. Um, I've heard speculation that somebody like, uh, I think it's J.B. Pritzer, who's the governor of, uh, God, I don't even know, Pennsylvania, something like, no, it can't be Pennsylvania. Pritzer, look, look his name up, might be a decent contender. He's a billionaire, which is not a 
great thing to start with, but also supports like insanely progressive policies. And uh, like John Fetterman, who just did well in Pennsylvania, he's a big beefy boy. And we've seen how well big beefy boys do in a higher office. All I'm going to say is that I'm just glad that Dr. Oz didn't win. <laughs> Dang, that's the top line takeaway Naomi has this night. Yeah, I mean, we we just don't we we don't still don't know the governor results for yeah for Arizona. So I that's the least I can say. The one dynamic that's going to be interesting is I'm pretty sure DeSantis and Trump are running unless somebody strikes a deal, being like, "Hey, Trump, you know we're going to give you 100 million dollars if you stand aside and just let DeSantis run." A lot of party leaders, like conservative thought leaders, think that. Trump is dragging down electoral prospects, but the voters still think he's more viable than any other candidate. And so you're probably going to see this phenomenon similar to uh, uh, Jeb Bush trying to run in the 2016 election where party leaders are like, he's the next person. And then Trump just absolutely wiping the floor. Uh, I think DeSantis is going to put on this, I'm a rational, moderate Republican stance, and Trump is just going to be like, I do whatever the heck I want. And Trump's a much better debater for the audience of the Republican primary than I think DeSantis is. Uh, So that'll be an interesting thing to follow. Whoever the Democrats nominate, they need to be charismatic. They need to have some level of knowledge about like policy and be able to like call out whoever is the Republican nominee on their BS. No, like I know AOC is very popular amongst the Democrats, but I think that she's just so hated amongst the Republicans that it's like she will unite the Republican Party against her. Yeah. In the and, sense that, like, she's just too progressive. To an extent, um, I don't want to exclude anyone just because the enemy hates them. If anything, that's because they're the most potentially powerful enemy. That's entirely yeah. fair. And, and I think that you already saw this phenomenon with Clinton where, all, all, better or worse, you know, there are plenty of reasons to dislike Hillary Clinton or like Hillary Clinton. Um, but, like, she was entering the election. Uh, for in 2016, um, with decades of like slam pieces against her, decades of like manufactured conspiracies, some with credibility, some not, and and so it was very difficult for her for her to make inroads. It's a consideration, but I, I I think we're too far out to be mapping out like that. We shouldn't appeal to like what the enemy wants yeah. you know, people to to do. Uh, one other thing I think we're going to see in state governments is a lot of state legislatures are going to be passing laws to make it harder for younger people to vote. Um, okay. If youth turnout is the thing that yeah. pushes Democrats over the top, that was the biggest Republicans thing are going to start pulling polling places away from college campuses. I know the ASU uh, Sun Devil Fitness Center was an insanely popular place for voting in Tempe. Yeah. And there was a lot of overflow because the lines were so long over there. Uh, they're going to s- starve resources. They're going to make it harder to vote by mail. They're going to add additional verification requirements if they can. Some of these will be challenged in court. Some of these will be accepted wholeheartedly. Uh, but yeah, they do not want youth voting. And already I'm seeing conservative thought leaders be like oh well we should raise the voting age to 21 because 18 year olds are too immature so you know 16 year olds are okay to join the army and 11 year olds are okay to have babies but 18 is uh too young to make decisions about the future of the country democracy yeah good good stuff uh i think you're also going to see a lot of governors 
stop ignoring their legislatures and just start passing laws arbitrarily to an extent this has already happened but conservatives are really embracing this idea of like strongman leaders mm -hmm. uh you have examples like ProPublica had an article on the 25th of october about greg abbott in texas and on multiple occasions greg abbott has passed laws or like enforced policies that the governor has no control over he's just said i'm the governor i can do whatever the heck i want mm -hmm. and I, I think you're going to see this trend more and especially if they see they can derive popularity from passing one law or another regardless what the legislature says they're just going to do something they're going to announce it to the public they're going to win all this press and then they're going to fight it in court later mm -hmm. uh, so ooh, it's a, it's fun times ahead um i want some positive takeaways though I, and i want to start with the top line one there's a lot of local positions that our listeners could potentially run for okay well uh, i would like to say that the first um gen z um Candidates? Politician, yeah, mm -hmm. has been elected into the House. Mm -hmm. So that was exciting to hear. Sure. And, and, and I think if you're sitting there being like, politicians are all stupid and politics is dumb, um, you need to recognize that if that's true and you know nothing, you're perfectly qualified. Mm -hmm. um, but more importantly, like, there's perspectives missing from politics about climate, about economic anxiety among young people, about job prospects, about the future of the country that just don't show up anywhere. And whether, you know, you're running for governor or you're running for like local school board position, there's, there's positions all across, you know, the spectrum where you can make a difference. Um, often there's a lot of city boards and commissions that have influence on the shape of your local area, whether or not you can make a difference in your state, you can certainly make a difference in community. I know in Tempe, for instance, there's a sustainability commission, there's a historic commission, uh, there's a commission that looks into how pension plans pay out in the city. There's pensions that look into, uh, that give youth an ability. I think high school students can sit in and give advisory uh, recommendations to um, uh, the, the Tempe mayor. I'm not saying that's true in every area, but often there's opportunities for you to step up and make a difference in a community. And typically these boards are like, yeah, um, we don't get enough applications, so these positions stay open all, all year. Or alternatively, they have carve-outs specifically for people of a certain age, because the only people who usually apply are like in their 60s. So yeah, just keep that in mind. Keep in mind, too, that there's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of ballot measures that are going to be coming up in the next two years to address all manner of issues. People are clearly seeing the power of ballot measures. I think there's going to be some crackdown on how effective they are at the state level. But um, you know, if you care about issues like trans rights, if you care about issues like abortion, if you care about issues like Tennessee passing an anti-slavery bill in the year of our Lord, 2022. Was it just Tennessee? I think it was like four states altogether that but, still had... But the Fact, no, the, the fact is there's only like four or six states that have outlawed slavery. Yes. You can still yes. enforce slavery as punishment for a crime. If you want to see that gotten rid of, as Julie Gunnigal was talking about in our interview, you know, this would be a great time to bring that up. Um, keep in mind that like if you ever feel despair and hope because all the media you're seeing is talking about how dumb you are and how terrible the future is going to be like it turns out trans people are popular workers rights are super popular climate change talking about that as an issue is popular abortion rights are popular <laughs> like the issues you think are controversial actually voters have repeatedly shown are pretty normal in our day-to-day -day, and we need people running for office or getting involved in the issues who care about these things Anything you want to add, Naomi? Um, I would say running for office is good advice. Um, not everyone has the patience for it. Not everyone has the resources for it. But if you believe in it, do it. Um, 
I'll, I'll, I'll do one better. Okay. If you're one of our listeners and you, you would like to run for a position, give us a holler. We'll, we'll see what we can do to support you. We have connections now. We have some connections now. Yeah. yeah. We also um, would love to send you a sticker if you're running for office. <laughs> this is all we give. Just a little lapel pin. Yeah. yeah, put this on your laptop during interviews. No, I think that it's good advice for people to run for office, but I also um, am fully aware that not everyone has, like, it just... It's expensive. It's, it's expensive. It's going to ruin family dynamics. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, and I don't think it, it's advice that applies to everyone. I think I know some people out there who are smart educated people who are charismatic or care about the issues. And for whatever one reason or another, they're kind of sitting on the sidelines. If this is the sign that it takes to, to change it. what they do, do it. Yeah. We, we love, we love the people who, who listen to our content on a weekly basis. Um, we want to make sure that we can support us just as you support us. We can support <laughs> you as much as you support us. Uh, speaking of supporting us, Naomi, the holiday season is coming. Oh, okay. And if you are a Patreon on our Patreon, you're a Patreon subscriber. The on month our Patreon? of our Lord, November 2022. Stop December bringing 2022. God into it. You don't need um, to. I just want to make it clear that we are sending out holiday cards. Non denominational holiday cards. Phenomenal. And who knows, Lauren and I have been making household goods recently. We may throw in some of those Aww. as well. Um, yeah, we're not saying support us just because you want it. Uh, all of our money is currently donated to abortions rights organizations. Um, we are not taking all of your money and buying, you know, steak dinners and fancy new new cars. But um, yeah, we, we would love to just get that level of support. And um, if you support us, we will be more than happy to send a little something your way. We also would like to shout out a fan who um, got sent a How Will No One Date These Guys sticker. How Will No One Date These Guys sticker. Why didn't we name it? How, How Will No One, one Date These Guys. <laughs> We're so dateable. <laughs> um, sticker, and she put it on an ice cream maker that was also sent from the household. So I don't know. She's just the ultimate fan. Haley, if you're listening, shout out to you. Make sure you bleep out that now. Why? We wouldn't want anyone to know who listens to us. That's the personal information being compromised. Okay, we're done here. <laughs> we're done here. Thanks, all. You enjoy your weeks. Have a good week, guys. Enjoy your holiday. Act like a midterm. Don't think like a midterm. use for our theme music, which is the song Drop by Ketza. You can find more of their music online at ketza.uk. You can also find Date These Guys online on Twitter and Instagram at Date These Guys, or visit our website at datetheseguys.org. If you have questions you'd like us to discuss in the podcast or marriage proposals for either of us, shoot us an email at datetheseguys at gmail.com.